Welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. I'm Randall Sanders, happy to be joined as always by Jeremy Spector. Ronan O'Shea is out this evening hunting Sasquatch in the Bigfoot foothills. He sends his regards and suggestions, and he will rejoin us next episode. Jeremy, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good, Randall. Uh, doesn't it just feel, you know, a little more open in here? You, you have a little more room to breathe. Yeah, you, you know, know there's, not... only, there's only two people in our Zoom window as opposed to three. So we're not squeezing as many people into the space. Not as much uh, hot air, if you will. Fewer noises. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just it's just a little a little, little more chill and comfortable. Different, and... little di- little different sound. We won't do it particularly often, but you know, it's good to try new things. Love uh, talking behind the back on a recording when somebody's absolutely off talking concert. talking behind the back that he's going to hear uh, later anyway. Uh, so as we progress on this train known as Behind the Yellow Line, and by the way, you can find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Uh, give us a follow, tweet at us, give us ideas for things you'd like to hear coming up in future episodes. On the topic of this episode, it is episode number 24. Jeremy, I know when I think of number 24 in a Cubs uniform, I can't think of anyone but Dexter Fowler. Does anyone different come to mind for you or is it the same? That was the first, I mean, just right now, number 24, that's the first uh, that came to mind. You know, actually, was Pedro Strope? Or no, somebody, no, he was wearing 20 off. Uh, Never mind. He flipped the numbers around earlier this year, so I was wrong on that. But uh, uh, you know, Dexter Fowler obviously with the leadoff home run and and in Game Seven, like that's the first thing I think of because he does that little flip around first. You just see Fowler twenty four. Absolutely. And now there there is a peripheral connection between Pedro Strope and the number twenty four. When Craig Kimbrell signed with the Cubs partway through the twenty nineteen season. Uh, Pedro Strope was still on the team and still wearing uh, number 46, which has been Craig Kimbrell's for his career. That's what I was thinking of. Craig Kimbrell in his first half season as a Cub uh, wore number 24. And I recall at his introductory press conference, he said, it's an athletic number. It makes me feel like I'm an actual baseball player. Is that what Jack's wearing now? 24? It is, as a matter of fact. I was just about to go through some 24s in Cubs history. Some names that I know Ronan would love hearing. Matt Stairs, Roosevelt Brown, David Kelton. Tom Goodwin, Henry Blanco probably did the most distinguished work in the number uh, up until Fowler arrived. And that's not saying much guys like Bobby scales, Marlon bird, Luis Valbuena, may he rest in peace. Dexter Fowler, definitely one of the more distinguished wearers of the number in recent history. Um, But yeah, Jock Peterson is wearing it now. And I kind of like that. I kind of like, I like 24 as a number. I think it's a versatile number. It can be on just about any position and look good. Uh, and it's been on a pitcher the last couple seasons. Kind of nice seeing it on a position player out there just about every day. Well, 24 is one of the sleekest, coolest numbers of all time. I mean, you have both Ken Griffey Jr. and Willie May. So you think of an all-around center fielder, a guy who could do everything, number 24 would be your go-to number for me at least. Absolutely. 24 is one of those prestige numbers, especially for an outfielder. So good to see it on a position player who is out there every day. Uh, So Ronan is out tonight, but he did insist. And when Ronan insists, he insists. He did insist that we touch upon two topics tonight. Uh, It is an anniversary of two occasions today. One joyous, one a little more somber. It was on this day in 1984 that Hall of Fame second baseman Ryan Sandberg uh, had what has come to be known as the Sandberg game. On June 23rd, 1984, with the Cubs playing the Cardinals at Wrigley Field, the Cubs, of course, overcame two large deficits capped by Ryan Sandberg hitting game-tying home runs off uh, fellow future Hall of Famer Bruce Suter 
in both the ninth and 10th innings. And the Cubs would go on to beat the Cardinals 12 to 11. Uh, the Sandberg game, one of those great moments in the history of the franchise, great moments in the history of the rivalry. I know Marquis produced a, a short documentary on the Sandberg game. Jeremy, have you ever actually watched the, the game start to finish? Start to finish, I'm not exactly sure. I've watched a lot of it. Uh, it seems like it's been on a lot. Um, you know, Bob Costas on the call. Yeah, so Bruce Suter, also a former Cub as well. Uh, well, Rhino, you know, we think of him as a Cub, but not not necessarily as a former Cub. But, uh, you know, and that's a crazy game where Willie McGee, you know, he hits for the cycle of that game. He gets named player of the game by NBC Sports with Bob Costas on the call. And, you know, it's completely overshadowed by Ryan Sandberg going uh, homering twice. And it's also pretty crazy to think that Bruce Cedar was in the game long enough to give up both of those homers. That's something that you really probably wouldn't see ever today. Yeah, relief pitchers were given a little longer leash back in the mid-80s. Uh, elsewhere on this day in 2007, again, a little uh, more somber occasion, former Cub closer Rod Beck, the great mustachioed closer for the 1998 wildcard winning Cubs. He passed away on this day at age 38. A terrible thing. So young. He was only a Cub for 1998 and half of 1999, but he did opt to be buried in a Cubs jersey, which tells you. Uh, how much he loved his time here. And Jeremy, you can tell this story. I know I tell it all the time. He was rehabbing with the Iowa Cubs in 2004. Where did he live uh, during that rehab stint? He lived at the ballpark. He lived in uh, the scooter shack, as you would call it, in a little RV outside of the ballpark in Des Moines on the, on, you know, in the parking lot. So, you know, you could go, I guess, you know, you'd have some fans come in, you give them a six pack and he let you in, you do a little drinking after the game, but it's always crazy to me that he was only 38 when he passed away. Very um, young, a terrible thing. Uh, the good old shooter shack, as you said, he'd have a, uh, a neon uh, drink light, like an ad on the outside of his RV, the shooter shack. And if it was on fans were welcome to come by and, and have a beer with shooter. So one of the game's great personalities, one of the game's great mustaches uh, gone too soon. Yes at the age of 38 on this day in 2007. Not just the mustache, the whole flow, everything about the it. whole flow, everything. He had closers hair. He had closers facial hair. He, he was the, uh, the, the, the textbook image of a, a big old closer out there on the mound. So the Cubs had themselves a, a bit of a rough weekend, uh, a bit of a rough pair of series since we last convened. Unfortunately, they dropped two or three against the visiting Marlins uh, to my deep, deep dismay. Victim of a pair of bad starting pitching outings by Zach Davies and Jake Arrieta back-to-back games. And both of those games were not particularly competitive. They got shredded by Adam Duvall, of all players, who hits for power but doesn't do a whole lot else. They managed to salvage that series against Miami, winning 2 to nothing behind a really good spot start from Alec Mills, who was in the rotation temporarily as we battle some injuries. Um, and he gave them five shutout innings, just enough for them to put out a 2 nothing win. And sadly, the lack of offense continued throughout the first game of the series against Cleveland. They scored no runs and they lost four to nothing. Uh, Adbert Alzale re returned from the injured list. Unfortunately, he was stung by a pair of home runs. And uh, Javier Baez, a bit of a story in that game one, because he made a just a, a, a brain fart, a mindless play on the base pads, forgetting how many outs there were and getting easily doubled off. And uh, manager David Ross had to drop the hammer on him and pulled him from the game. Jeremy, did you have any problem with that? Ross taking him out of the game for that? No, not really. Um, you know, I, I leave that up to the manager's discretion. If David Ross thought that was the right thing to do, then I thought that, you know, I, I go with the manager on that. And I don't think 
he handled it poorly. I thought he, the way to do it, he handled it the best he could seemed like, you know, Javi, you know, he wasn't happy to be benched, but he was okay with those. I mean, would I have done it? Probably not. I, I don't think I would have pulled him out, but if David Ross wants to hold like some guys a little bit accountable, want him, he did with Schwarber last year. So I didn't really have a problem with it. I, I it seemed, you know, he went over to him, he talked to him, he caught it on camera. Um, so I don't think, you know, he, he didn't like chew him out or anything. And, you know, after the game, they were both seemed like on the same page and, and, you know, that's what it takes. You know, uh, the offense you talked about, it has been slow. It, it's kind of hard to tell a little bit because it's like, you know, my, we talked about this last week, how Miami had an, uh, in a little run differential, uh, chat that you prompted by our listener, Stan Miller, good listener. Uh, that Miami is actually a surprising team on the run differential. They've outperformed how they, uh, their what their record says. And Miami has really good pitching. And you know, you come off the Mets series where they have really good pitching. You go to the Miami, they have pretty good pitching. So it's like, is this just you know the Cubs are running into good pitching, or is there something deeper there? Now, you know, against uh, Peterson, New York, the Cubs probably should have lit him up. They for the first six innings last night against a guy who walked came in with a 12 ERA for first four or five innings last night. The Cubs bats weren't really there. They were being no hit. So, you know, some of it's like, okay, there's really good pitching the Cubs facing. And some of it's like, well, these are kind of some of the same problems we were worried about at the start of the year. So it, it's hard to to me, it's kind of hard to purse uh, you know, purse out what's what what a parse, excuse me, what is what as opposed to that. But uh, I didn't really have I mean, to get back on topic. I didn't really have a problem with the hobby benching. No, I agree with you for the most part. Um, I don't know if I've ever real big on guys. I'm pulling guys mid game unless it's really egregious. But what Javi did, you know, it, it kind of borders on egregious, especially when you're struggling to score runs right now. Uh, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. If I do have one problem, it's that it seems like Ross singled Javi out a little bit. Rizzo got picked off of second uh, twice in the previous game. And, you know, nothing was really done there. So I would like to see Ross maybe be uh, a little more even in how he hands out these these benchings, but you can't necessarily bench Rizzo one day and Javi the next because you're probably hurting the team ultimately, even if you are sending a needed message. And I'm always a little worried about how guys are going to respond when they get pulled mid-game, but it seemed after the game like everyone was on the same page. Javi, as you said, certainly didn't wasn't happy with it, but it seems like he understood, and it seems like Ross – told him like, look, you're back in tomorrow, but for tonight, you're out of here. Go, go sit on the bench. So it seems like it all worked out because in the very next game, the offense woke up after scoring uh, not particularly many runs. The last four games Cubs offense scored seven runs in the final game of that series, winning one game out of four against Cleveland this year. They won seven to one. Kyle Hendricks was very good. Once again, six shutout innings. He has his ERA now down below four after a terrible start to the season, which is great because if you're going to compete at all, you need a good Kyle Hendricks and he's on a great run right now. Yeah. They need some pitching coming from somewhere in the rotation and, Hendricks has been great since the start of May. It, it's it kind of almost seems like this every season where Hendricks, you know, it takes a while for him to find a groove, but once he finds a groove, he really gets locked in, especially at Wrigley. He pitches very well at Wrigley Field. Um, and it was nice to see the bats wake up. It was nice to see Jock come up in a big spot and and rip a double. 
uh, Javi, the same thing on a pitch. It's almost like, how did he even reach that pitch? He had to like tomahawk it into left field, but he ends up getting the ground rule double scores some more runs. You know, honestly, you, you could argue quibble say they probably left a couple runs out there just the way certain things came, came about, but you know, it was nice to see the bats wake up in that big inning. And then you get the back-to-back homers from Contreras and wisdom to really put it away towards the end of the game. And so, you know, you, it's always good to, you know, have a happy flight, especially when you're going cross country to Los Angeles. So you, you, it's a good way to end. I mean, the last couple series, New York, Miami, Cleveland, they've won the, the getaway day game. So, you know, you end on a strong suit, although at some point you kind of want to actually win a series, although with Cleveland, they split. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. And the Cubs, they need to get some pitching because Jake Arrieta, I was at that game on Saturday. It started off with a couple weak hits, but, you know, Adam Duvall just crushing them for two days in a row. Four torching, torching them. Difficult to difficult to see, which is why I'm glad uh, work kept me from seeing quite a bit of it. You mentioned Jake Arietta, and he is in a bit of a rough stretch right now. Uh, anyone who's watched knows that he has not been particularly good. His last few starts will give you some, some breakdowns here against Miami. He goes only three innings. He allows uh, six runs, four of them earned against the Mets. He takes the loss. He allows four earned in five innings. Uh, against this against the Padres, he was adequate, the one run in five innings. And, he, uh, again, he probably pitched them to a win, but prior to that against the giants, he allows six runs in only two innings prior to that against the reds. Uh, he allows f- uh, five runs, but only two of them earned in three and two thirds. He just hasn't been on a particularly good run here. And that's going back to Memorial day. Now uh, it is only f- four or five starts. But just the same, you don't really have confidence in in him as he goes out there right now. And we knew this was going to be a possibility. You know, Jake Arrieta chose to re-sign here. We all were, I think, a little conflicted because, of course, we have nothing but good memories of Jake Arrieta from 2015 and 2016. But watching him in Philadelphia the last few years, I think we knew not only were we not getting the same Jake, but there was potential for it to go very bad. And in the last month or so, he hasn't been particularly reliable. Yeah, he has not been good. I mean, he, as you mentioned, he had that one start in San Diego where he pitched pretty well. He pitched almost equivalent to Darvish. But outside of that, it has not been good. He got lit up in San Francisco. He's just on Miami or excuse me, on that Saturday against Miami. He, it wasn't feeling I, it's like to me, Arietta is kind of on the I feel like he's the guy right now that's kind of on the edge of is he going to be in this rotation for much longer? I mean, Zach Davies has had some spots like he did uh, against Miami, but he's had some good starts as well. And I feel like for Davies, it's been all about command when he's locating his pitches where he wants to pitch. And sometimes I feel like he gets too afraid to really challenge batters. He, he, he tries to be too fine with his changeup and trying to get too many swings and misses that I, I feel like, okay, you know, he ends up walking a few guys, but I, I, for the most part, I feel like if he can locate and he, he can pitch well, Arietta, I don't know. Like when he's throwing in this, he's getting crushed when he's getting hit or, or he's walking guys. It, there's really not, not been much to hang your hat on. So I, I just feel like, you know, the Cubs, they need to find some starting pitching. We've talked about all season long. And if there's a guy who, if they can find somebody and there's a guy who's an odd man out right now, I, to me, it would have to be Arietta. And that's that's that will be very interesting to watch. That's an excellent point. Jake Arietta, of course, has uh, all the all the cachet built up with this team, all the the veteran experience in the world, 
would they take Jake Arietta out of this rotation if they were able to find an upgrade? And that's a very interesting question because there's a lot of status built up behind that beard. And it makes you wonder, would they do that to somebody like Jake Arietta? So that will be interesting to see as we approach the trade deadline and the Cubs probably go out there looking for starting pitching help is who will be the odd man out injuries probably dictate for right now that it wouldn't be Arietta yet, but as you get some guys back, uh, it might be the case. And that'll be really interesting to watch. And that happens to be an excellent segue into some injury updates. The, the Cubs, as we all know, are a little banged up right now. There's a couple of guys who might be close to being on their way back soon. Uh, second baseman, Nico Horner, starting pitcher, Trevor Williams and reliever, Justin Steele are all uh, looking to start rehab assignments soon, which is an excellent sign. Hopefully in the next week or so, You'll see all three of those guys go down to Iowa or Tennessee, wherever the innings or wherever the, uh, the at-bats are, and start to work their way back into baseball shape. And it's been a while for these guys. Nico got injured uh, a good four, five, six weeks ago. Trevor Williams has been out since his appendectomy. And uh, Justin Steele hurt himself quite a bit of time. So these guys have been uh, off the roster for a while now. And it's going to take a little bit of time for them to work their way back into baseball shape. Jeremy, of those three, the three who are closest to probably starting rehab assignments soon, who do you think needs the Cubs need back the quickest out of Nico Horner, Trevor Williams, and Justin Steele? Uh, well, right now, I, I'm going to say Nico Horner. I think having his bat in the lineup, uh, his defensive progress at second base, I think, you know, you have so many guys in this lineup right now that have swing and miss to get a guy who can put the bat on the ball. He can hit the ball hard the opposite way. You know, he can shoot balls all over the field. I think he is a key guy for this lineup. And I think hopefully the Cubs can see if maybe he can be in this lineup within, you know, maybe by July 4th or something, you know, if he can get a rehab assignment going. Uh, and then after that, obviously, Trevor Williams, the Cubs are looking for starting pitching. I, whether Trevor Williams is the guy, can be that guy, I don't know. But I still think you have to give him the chance and, and to be that guy and prove him. So he's had some okay starts, some not so good starts, much like much of the rotation. Uh, and Justin Steele is a guy I love, and so I, I, I want him back. But right now, I feel like the bullpen is pretty dominant as it is. So I don't think getting Justin Steele back will be, I mean, it will be a huge bump, but I don't think it, it, it will be like Nico. We're putting Nico in the lineup. I think really extends the lineup. Uh, you know, we're not going to see as much. Sogard or Alcon Alcantara, although, you know, he's had some hits, but I think it's a key to get a guy like Nico Horner back into the lineup. It's hard to disagree with that. As you said, right now, this offense is a whole lot of swing and miss. They are extremely dependent upon the home run right now. Uh, getting Nico and his contact bat back, I think, is exactly what this offense will need if they want to stay in their current position going forward. Uh, it would be nice to get Trevor Williams back because, again, starting pitching is probably this team's biggest need at the deadline. And it would be nice to get one of your projected starting pitchers back so you can really properly know what you need out of this starting rotation and what you need to add to it. Uh, and getting him back. And as you said, Steele, getting him back in the bullpen would be great, but they've been holding their own. So there's no need to rush Justin Steele back. Uh, and again, hopefully all three of these players are looking to, it looks, it sounds like they're all looking to head out on rehab assignments within the next week. And Nico, especially, it sounds like the hope is that he might be back by the 4th of July. Trevor Williams, I think might be a little bit longer because he may need two or three starts to build those innings back up. And at that point, you're probably to the all-star break. So it could be post all-star break until we see Trevor Williams back. 
David Bodie, who suffered that horrible separated shoulder sliding into second, uh, he has he has resumed baseball activities, which is great. He's taking ground balls. He's throwing across the diamond. And that's very important because, of course, it was a separated shoulder, just a horrific injury. Uh, he had to be walked off the field and he was clearly in a great deal of distress. So to see him working that shoulder out defensively is an excellent sign. And he'd be another great uh, re-addition to the bench. I know he was their starting second baseman to start the season. I feel like Nico probably took that with his performance, but again, getting Horner back and getting Bodie back, you can put Sergio Alcantara on the bench where he's probably a great fit and you can get uh, Sogard off the roster. And, uh, and now that's my own bias talking, I admit it. But at the same time, if you have Nico Horner as your starting second baseman and you have Bodie and you have Alcantara ready to rotate in there as need be. I just don't see where there's a place for Sogard on this roster if everybody's healthy. Yeah, getting Bodie back. I, I'm a big David Bodie fan because he hits the ball so hard, and I keep waiting for him to have a big breakout. But uh, so to me, I think getting Bodie back obviously would be a key addition. Hopefully that shoulder is strong enough where you can keep hitting the ball hard. Uh, but you're right. Uh, if you get him back, you get Nico back, you could start to put, at, at the very least, you could start to put some other guys in spots where they're not playing, you know, every day or every other day or a couple times a week, they have to start and you can maybe put them in spots where, you know, they might actually be able to contribute in, in ways that they can't really contribute if they're forced to play every day where they get exposed more. Um, whether that means, you know, Alcantara, who has an option, uh, is the guy on the bench or Sogard who does not have an option. Uh, I don't know, but if it means that Sogard's here to stay, then, you know, Sogard can, be in a spot where he has to be a, a contact guy, you know, in certain situations and not just like an everyday player. Or as I said, for Sergio, the same thing, if they end up doing DFAing Sogard, uh, it's, it's the same for him where you can just, you know, pick and choose the spot. So it, it just makes everybody's job a little bit easier, makes the manager's job a little bit easier. Um, and so I, 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 it would be huge to get both Bodie and Horner back. It's huge just to get one of them back to get Nico back. Uh, it, it still has that effect where you're putting guys in, you know, putting them a little bit more a um, little down in the playing rotation. So uh, yeah, I, I love Bodie. So I hope he comes back as quick as possible. Jeremy, you can you make a good point. Sergio Alcantara does have an option remaining. Eric Sogard does not. Uh, and management and the coaching staff do seem to like Sogard. So I do have that concern that even when everybody is healthy, Alcantara ends up being the odd man out due to that option. But uh, hopefully we can go, talent over options at some point because Sogard has been I know I know it's I know it's your shtick and Ronan shtick that every time he gets his one hit for the week it's Sogard MVP but I think even you have to admit he is he's not just been not particularly good he's been actively awful like hurting the team bad well he's not I, I don't want him to be the starting everyday second baseman I can tell you that much or shortstop for the various at least I don't want him getting as many at bats played appearances that he's been getting at all, whether or not I think he contribute to the team. I don't know. There are certain situations where you want a guy who can make contact like Sokar can make contact. And, you know, you got a guy on third less than one out or, or two outs. That's the perfect spot for Sogar because all he does is seemingly hit, you know, 250 feet fly balls that get caught. So, you know, just hit some high. So I, whether or not, so, you know, I, I feel like there could be some contributions there if you get other guys to take the bulk of the weight of playing. But uh, if he's gone, then I'm not going to shed a tear for Eric Sogard. I can tell you that much. I will also not be doing that if, and hopefully when it comes to that. 
elsewhere on the injured list, uh, infielder Matt Duffy. Uh, unfortunately, it sounds like he experienced a little bit of a setback as he comes back from a back injury. Uh, I think he was close to going out on a rehab assignment not all that long ago, but it sounds like something has flared up again. And they're going to take it very cautious with him. And again, that's unfortunate for the same reason that uh, not having Nico has hurt the team. Duffy was an excellent contact bat. And when he was in that lineup, against all odds, they were producing and they were winning. So that's another bat you hope they get back soon. Uh, it's probably not a coincidence that with Horner and Duffy both out, the offense has cratered a little bit again. And hopefully you can get one or both of those contact bats back in there sooner versus later. Yeah, Duffy has been a little interesting because it, I, it's been hard to really understand, you know, his back issues. He he tried to play. Uh, he sat out for a while and then he tried to play and then he had to be pulled from the game. And then he went immediately to the IL and we haven't really heard much about him. Uh, we've seen him in the dugout a few times, but uh, he uh, even even recently, I remember he was taking a BP and they said he was hitting the ball out of the yard. But, you know, getting that contact bat was a a key early on. It was key against, you know, in the first series sweep of the Dodgers Matt Duffy had some huge hits. Uh, you know, wisdom has obviously come in and he's, he's hit the ball hard. Uh, lately he's been striking out a little bit, but he's still hitting the ball hard and still hitting home runs as he did last night. So he, he's taken some of that off of, you know, from third base, but I uh, Duffy was a key and Duffy is a guy who could play defensively. So he, having him on the roster making a decision, you know, about wisdom or Duffy, maybe you have two guys now on the bench that, you know, can really contribute, uh, you know, cause Chris is playing all over. He's not playing third base. So just getting guys back will make everybody better in my opinion, because everybody will be asked to do less and you'll be able to put, you know, guys in situations where that's what a manager's job really is. It's put your players in the best uh, position to succeed. And if you have more options, you can do that more effectively. So I, I, I would like to see Matt Duffy get back. He's a good defensive third baseman. He can hit the, he could put the bat on the ball. So I am hoping that this setback is not extreme and that, you know, we can get some of these guys really back and the Cubs will really be firing on all cylinders. Yeah. That's the hope that his setback does not set him back too much. And hopefully he is able to be back soon. It is kind of ironic. The Cubs have had two third basemen come in really out of nowhere and help the team in different ways because they are such different offensive players. Duffy much more of an on-base and contact guy while wisdom of course is much more of a, a power hitter, 10 home runs in a, a very small sample size. So having both of those players on the bench and you figure they both will be on a healthy bench for the Cubs, as you said, uh, will be a big help to the team when they get there. As for uh, some other players who are still hurt, Dylan Maples, Rowan Wick, Austin Romine, and unfortunately PJ Higgins, uh, after only a short time in the major leagues, all of them are still nursing various injuries. It doesn't sound like any of them are going to be back soon. So this team remains a little bit banged up, but hopefully uh, with a couple guys coming back, they can be less so in the near future. Speaking of the near future, the Cubs are about to head out on a particularly long road trip. They go through Los Angeles and, the, and Milwaukee uh, in the first two legs of that road trip. Some pitching matchups for you in that uh, Dodger series, which is a four-game series starting tomorrow night, Thursday night. Uh, we're getting Zach Davies versus Walker Bueller. The Friday matchup, uh, the aforementioned Jake Arrieta versus Tony Gonsolin. Alec Mills remains in the rotation and he'll make another start this time against Julio Urias and the Sunday matchup, which should be a good game. Adbert Alzale against Clayton Kershaw. 
so those are the pitching matchups for that series. Again, the Cubs do miss Bauer, which is uh, a favor to them. He is going tonight, although he did allow back-to-back home runs in the first inning against the Padres. You hate to see it. Uh, but we've talked about it, Jeremy. The starting rotation hasn't been particularly reliable. Maybe they can find something in L.A. and they can shore it up a little bit. But on paper, it seems like these pitching matchups favor the Dodgers quite a bit. Well, yeah, you know, it's as you said, not facing Bauer is a huge uh, deal. I, I think getting, you know, Gonsolin and, and Urias and, you know, even Kershaw is, is you know, a, a favorable for the Cubs uh, in terms of what they could have been seeing. Uh, although you have to remember, they did beat Kershaw, Beeler and Bauer back in Wrigley at the start of the year. So but this this is a trip, man. This is a real uh, important road trip to me. I mean, you, you're going into it a half game back after Milwaukee won earlier today. Um Milwaukee's what they're playing the Rockies this weekend at home, I think. That that so, would be that would be just incredibly unfair. It, it seems yeah. like it seems like the Brewers have spent the entire month playing the absolute dregs of the National League. They have, <laughs> including the Diamondbacks, including the Rockies, even at Coors. Boy, that that would just be absolutely tragic. So you don't want to get. I think they're playing the Rockies at home. I don't. You don't want to get too far behind, especially going into Milwaukee. So, you know, these next seven games are, to me, pretty important as to because the Cubs, I mean, a bad trip right here and the Cubs could be right back to being four or five games back. Who knows? Uh, So you don't want to go too far, say seven games back, but whatever. Uh, Or a good trip. You know, you could put yourself up in a good position. So the hope is just to really stay within striking distance, I think, because for the Cubs, the schedule eases up a lot. I think in July and August where, you know, the Cubs are really going to start facing some of these bottom feeders that the Milwaukee got to face. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, this is, this is going to be a key trip, I think. And so I, I don't think this is a trip you can, you can do the lose the first three and salvage the last one. Like they did in San Francisco and in New York. I think you got to split this trip at least. Yeah, this is, this is going to be rough. The, the Rockies have been, a pretty good team at home, 25 and 16. The Rockies on the road, five wins, 28 losses. That is a winning percentage of 152. I'm not counting on any help from the Rockies this this weekend, and that is deeply, deeply unfortunate. Jeremy, as you said, as we've said, the Brewers have been lucky enough to play just the worst teams in the NL. Well, it seems like the Cubs are going through a gauntlet. They do. They do need to make do good work on this road trip, because if they don't, they could find themselves in a very unenviable position. And of course, they go through Los Angeles, they go through uh, Milwaukee, and then they, they get to end the trip by going through Cincinnati. And it's not that the Reds are a great team, but they're a team that can beat you a couple different ways if you're not careful. I worry this is going to be an absolutely brutal road trip for them. Yeah, I, I worry about that too, especially the Los Angeles, Milwaukee parts of it. But, you know, the I, I Woodruff pitched today and Peralta last night. So I don't think the Rockies are going to see Woodruff for Peralta. So they'll probably see a couple of the lesser starters Milwaukee has. And Milwaukee's offense is not that good. So, you know, who knows um, what happens with the Rockies up there in Milwaukee. But uh, like, I, yeah, like we said, the, the Cubs got to do some damage here in Los Angeles. They got they can't just, you know, it's going to be a tough series. It's going to be a hard fought series. You know, the Cubs have gone out to L.A. a couple of times. They've had some success out there. They've had, you know, serious times. Sometimes they have not had some success out there. But, uh, you know, they, they won in 2016. They did not win in 2017. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so we'll see. I, I, I 
it could be worse. I feel like with these pitching matchups, like I said, with Trevor Bauer, I, I, I think Alzale is going to pitch pretty decently. I have ho- hopes for Davies, skeptical of Arietta and Alec Mills, who knows as well. But, you know, the, the Dodgers have not been like a great team this year. They've been a very good team. There was the expectation that they were going to come in and just blow everybody out. They're going to win 120 games. That didn't happen. Now they've had some injuries. We'll get into that a little bit as well. But they haven't been great. So the so the Cubs can compete with them, I feel like. Yeah, and the Dodgers are playing a very difficult series against San Diego right now. And San Diego has, has given them fits in this series. They are in game three of that three-game series, and the Dodgers are just fighting not to get swept. Um, so, you know, coming off that emotional series against the Padres, you wonder if they might be a little bit, uh, a little bit tired out emotionally and physically. And if they are, hopefully the Cubs can take advantage of that. Um, so yeah, they, they need to do good work in Los Angeles this weekend because they might be, find themselves in a very difficult spot otherwise. Uh, so Jeremy, you and I have each picked out a player from the, the about to be hosting Dodgers who we've chosen to spotlight going into this series. Uh, why don't you lead off your player for this series? My player for this series is uh, the one, the only Cody Bellinger, who, of course, was the MVP of the league a couple seasons ago, had a monster playoff postseason last year for the Dodgers when they won the World Series. But this season has had some real injury issues. He's been out for a couple months with a strained hamstring. Those hamstrings seem like all across the league. Everybody's coming down with it. The Cubs have had a few issues. Somehow last night, Dan Vogelbach was able to score on a play where he couldn't even walk. Because I don't know what the hell the Arizona Diamondbacks are doing out there. So hopefully, when the Cubs get to play them, they'll be still be in the same funk. But uh, you know, Bellinger got activated tonight. I haven't been able to, I haven't seen or looked up what he's done tonight since he's been activated. But that was something he he came back, I believe, last week or the uh, around obviously ten days before prior to ten days. But he came back. He played a, co- a handful of games, and he had to go right back onto the IL. And then he was able they were he was able to come off tonight. Uh, so we'll see. This is going to be, uh, you know, probably his first big series. He gets in coming off the IL, and he hasn't really been hitting that well this season. Uh, you know, he only had what a 647 OPS in, I think, only 16 games. So obviously a small sample. He's been struggling, but even his underlying stats are, you know, once again, only 16 games. They're a little bit uh, lesser than what you would expect. You know, he hasn't been hitting the ball as hard. His his ex woba isn't as high as you would expect it to be. So. Uh, you know, I'm interested to see how Bellinger is able to come back off of uh, his injury, off of his hamstring, and to see if he can really go and go out and try to really compete this weekend with the uh, with the Cubs. You know, play probably play some center field, or maybe they'll try to hide him at first base. Who knows? Uh, just to protect him a little bit. But uh, so Cody Bellinger is my guy to really keep an eye on. I feel like just to see what type of uh, condition he is coming off the IL. And Jeremy, as we record this edition of the podcast, Cody Bellinger is indeed in the Dodgers lineup tonight. In his first at-bat, he flew out to right field, so he is 0-for-1 in the early going of that game. I am also going to highlight a former MVP. That, of course, is the one, the only Mookie Betts. And Mookie is having what is, for him, a down year. He's only OPSing 820. He only has nine home runs, and he's only putting up an OPS plus of 129. These are decent numbers for other players but of course Mookie Betts is not other players he's one of the great players in the league and he's not having his best season ever and what stood out to me is that when the Dodgers visited Wrigley for three games earlier in the season the Cubs kept him pretty quiet only three hits and 13 at bats that series Uh, only one of the hits was for extra bases a double he walked once and he drove in no runs that series so I'm not so optimistic to think that the Cubs have 
have been able to find something where they know how to keep Mookie down, where the rest of the league has more trouble with him. But they they did have success keeping him quieter earlier in the season. And if they have any hope of winning uh, a game, any games this series, keeping Mookie bets off the bases is going to be a big part of that. Yeah, 100% true, right? You're right there on that, Randall. Uh, Mookie Betts is obviously a great player. Um, you know, what the Cubs were able to do to him in Wrigley was obviously key to keeping Mookie off uh, or to keeping the Dodgers off the out of the win column playing those games. And, you know, the Dodgers, are like I mentioned earlier, Dodgers are missing Bellinger as well in those games. So, you know, they'll be a lot healthier this time going into L.A., to see how they're performing. Now, as you said, Mookie's not having a terrible year. He's still an above average hitter. He's still obviously an elite defender. He, you know, he made that play a couple months ago against San Diego, which was ridiculous. And he's made some other pretty good plays. He made a really nice play against Pittsburgh the other day where he made a great throw home to get a runner at third. Um, or excuse me, uh, yeah, runner at third going home. So, you know, it, this is a big series. As I just mentioned, this, this is a series I think that's really going to shape uh, the rest of the season. Now, you know, even if the Cubs get off to a terrible, you know, series, they're still, still going to be in it. But, you know, we're getting close to the deadline. So if there is any possibility that, you know, the Cubs might be sellers, it would probably be if they don't play well this series, this, this series and the next one against Milwaukee, that would probably start to put it in that, okay, maybe this isn't, we shouldn't be buying or we shouldn't be competing. Maybe we do need to sell. I don't expect that to happen. I still think the Cubs are committed to the season, so I don't really think they're going to sell. But if that were to happen, that's how it would happen. Absolutely. If there is one stretch of games, not just a month, but one one road trip that could potentially alter the course of the season. And like you said, I don't think this will happen. But if it were to happen, it would be a road trip like this, a, a 10, a 10 game, three city road trip where you just have an abysmal time and you come back and the front office says, you know, maybe trading away assets to shore up this team isn't the best move in the long term. And like you said, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to have the decision hinge on this one road trip, but if it's bad enough, you could in some version of events, see that be the case. And hopefully that's not the case. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to point out, you know, we had this, Coming into this month in June, we were like, okay, the Cubs, you know, I believe they might have been, what, like a game up entering uh, this month in June, or maybe they were tied. I don't remember exactly, but I know they were in first place entering the month, and they haven't been up more than a game and a half, no matter what. So they they had just gotten into first place on June 1st, and we were like, this is a killer month. This is month is brutal. We have to, we have these four-game series against San Francisco, New York, and, and Los Angeles. We're playing, we're going to say us. San Diego, we got Cleveland, we got the Cardinals, although they, they looked stronger at the beginning of the month than they do now. And who's Milwaukee playing? They're playing, you know, Colorado a couple of times. They're playing Arizona. They're playing, I, they might have played Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. So, like, we were like looking at, like, okay, this month could be a terrible stretch, just as we're looking at this series right now. And what's happened is the Cubs have stayed pretty much, I mean, they haven't played great baseball, but they've been able to keep and stay right with Milwaukee. Uh, they're only a half game back. Obviously, the Cubs didn't play today, so Milwaukee had that advantage of getting that extra game against Arizona. But, you know, three weeks ago, we weren't sure if this would be the case. Now they're coming up on the end of the month. If they can get past this road trip, get past the Dodgers, go into Milwaukee, you know, it really opens up for them. July and August really open up, in my opinion, 
uh, they're going to start to play some of these teams. They play Arizona. They play Colorado. They they have to play those teams two times. They haven't played them yet. They're done with the Dodgers. They're done with the Padres. Um, so I, it really, I mean, they're done with Cleveland, who they just played uh, a tough team, who's only what two game, two and a half out of, of first place in the, uh, or it might be three games now, three games with the Mets uh, as well. Yeah. Oh, Mets exactly. Who they're done with the Mets. So. I, you know, you, you get past this Dodger series and you're like, okay, we made it through this really difficult month. We're not terrible. We're, if we're behind, we're not behind by a lot. Hopefully uh, if we're off, that's even huge, uh, bigger. And if you get back to this Dodger series, I, I really think the re- the next half of the season really opens up for the Cubs. And I think it's, you know, just getting past this weekend. It's like every time I see the Cubs get past one of these brutal series and Milwaukee drops a game or two, I'm like, okay, we're done with that. We're getting closer to the point. It's like, we have to just complete this, this as you said earlier in this, in the show, running the gauntlet, we have to just complete running this gauntlet right here. And then I think we're in a good spot. Absolutely. It's very much a, a, a survive and endure month, a very much a survive and endure stretch right here. And that's what the Cubs need to do. And hopefully they are able to do that. As has become our custom, we have some weather for you going into the next two series, uh, made all the more interesting by the fact that one of the series is in Southern California and the other is in a domed ballpark. Uh, so we bring in the weather from our good friend, Alexander Hall, whom you can find on Twitter at Alexander Hall, where he co-runs Cubs weather, which is at Cubs weather, a great Twitter account that gives you the weather for all Cubs games. And before we begin tonight's weather report, uh, Alex takes a makes a point of noting our thoughts to those recovering from the horrific tornado that passed through Chicago's south and southwest suburbs this past Sunday night. Uh, some terrible damage. I know a lot of lives upended with houses destroyed. So Alex makes a note of uh, sending his thoughts out to all those people recovering from that storm. And we do the same. So as the Cubs open up in Los Angeles, Alex tells us that the series vibe is that coastal Southern California is mostly escaping the triple digit Western heat bomb that is currently affecting the Western United States, threatening all time records in the Pacific Northwest as well. But it will slowly warm each day as the heat starts to build in the interior of Southern California. Two dazzlers to start, followed by two warmer and more summery games. No real weather issues. So for the Thursday night game, which is a 9-10 central time start, uh, temperatures in LA will be partly cloudy, low 70s falling to the mid-60s, comfortable humidity, and a little bit of a breeze out to right field at 5 to 15 miles per hour. Uh, the next night, Friday, same time, 9-10 central time, temperatures will start in the upper 70s and fall to the low 70s. Otherwise, the humidity and the breeze will be very similar. It warms up quite a bit for Saturday night, which is a 6-15 uh, central time start. It'll be in the low 80s, falling to the mid 70s. Winds will be light and variable. And then Sunday night, another ESPN Sunday night baseball game. Fantastic. It will be 90 degrees to start with a light wind out to right field or possibly variable. Now, for the series in Milwaukee, Alexander tells us that the mega heat ridge, and these are his words, the mega heat ridge over the West Coast sends gorgeous, comfortable Canadian air into the Great Lakes, which sounds fantastic to me. There will be a slight chance for showers or storms each night, but Milwaukee has a roof, so those don't typically lead to a whole lot of impact. Now, Alexander tells us that in Milwaukee, we don't typically worry about the wind influence because of the way the ballpark is built. And of course, there is a roof on the ballpark. Alexander has never been to the former Miller Park, what is now American Family Ballpark Stadium, something like that. 
but he doesn't imagine that even with the roof open, the wind has a whole lot of effect. Jeremy, you've been to the former Miller a few more times than I have. I've been there a couple times enough to know I don't really like the ballpark. Have you ever encountered the wind having any real impact at the, at that ballpark? I don't believe so. I mean, I know that they have those kind of, they open like in the outfield on the wall, they have like these open windows that can open. Uh, and I, I believe in the home run derby when they had it there, I think Sammy hit a ball out <laughs> there cause it was just crazy, but I don't really think the wind can ever really play a factor. Now, if they have the roof closed, uh, you know, you could possibly have what they used to do at the Metrodome. You could put the air conditioner on, have it blow back when the opposing teams up to bat. But uh, I don't think they have uh, much wind issues. And now here's a funny thing I've read about uh, the ballpark in Milwaukee that they, they don't actually have air conditioning for the seating bowl at, at that ballpark. <laughs> and if you have the roof closed on what is otherwise a very humid night, it, it develops what I'm told is almost kind of a microclimate. You get like clouds of humidity starting to form in the way upper deck. And if you've ever been in the way upper deck, uh, in Milwaukee, you're up there. You might as well be up in the clouds. Uh, so that's one of the interesting things that happens when you have a domed ballpark. Uh, so, but weather for uh, weather just the same for the Monday night game. Temperatures will be in the low 70s with a slight chance for showers or thunderstorms and a light wind out to left field, five to 10 miles per hour. The Tuesday night game, another seven o'clock start. Temperatures in the mid 70s with um, another slight chance for a little bit of rain with a light wind out to center field at five to 10. And then finally, the day game. Uh, 1.10 p.m. on Wednesday, temperatures in the mid-70s with another slight chance for rain and another slight breeze out to center field. Uh, so it sounds like that if it is not raining to start any of these games, there's a good chance that they will all start with the roof open. Probably more comfortable for the people in there a lot of the time. And hopefully the Cubs can go into Milwaukee and roof or no roof, they can take advantage and win a few games. So as always, we thank Alexander for his meteorological contributions to the podcast. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Alexander Hall, and you can follow the work he does for Cubs forecasting on at Cubs weather. Yeah. And uh, Randall, I, I was just curious, uh, how were you uh, this past, what was it, Sunday night uh, when the tornado was coming through, uh, you know, or the one hit, it hit south of us, but we had a warning up north, Randall, and uh, Big Morty, you were, how, and Morton Grove, how, how, how were you able to handle that? Well, Jeremy, uh, yeah, Jeremy and I, both of us up here in the northern suburbs of Chicago, uh, Jeremy splits time between the suburbs and the city, uh, we had the sirens going off for a little bit. Uh, we were fortunate to have not gotten anything more on the ground than wind and rain, but we were under a tornado warning. The area was for the better part of about 45 minutes. So it was it was touch and go there for a while. If I lived in a building with a basement, I might have retreated down there just to be on the safe side. It would not have proven necessary. But you know, when the sirens are going off, you can look at the radar and you can keep an eye on the warnings all you want. But those sirens, they, they tell a very specific story. And if those sirens are going off, you're usually wise to heed them. Oh, definitely. I, I, live, I was with my parents in uh, Glenview. And they installed a newer uh, security system a few years ago, and they must be hooked up to the emergency alert system because it was going off. Like once the tornado warning went, it was loud. I couldn't believe it didn't wake my parents up, uh, but it was very loud. And then they kept going off with the warnings. on As I went and I told my parents, I was like, hey, I don't know if you guys want to wake up, but there is a tornado warning. So if you want to head to the basement or something, that'd be cool. Up to you guys. I'm going to the basement. I'm going to bring our dog down there. Um, and they 
both did. We all went to the basement. But Randall, uh, you were living in a building. So did you go to the lobby or did you do or did you say what what floor are you on? Well, I'm on the third floor of my building. My procedure when the sirens go off, and again, I can watch the radar, I can watch the warnings, I can do everything I can to see where the storm is going exactly. My procedure when the sirens go off is to go as far down as the lobby, because from there, I'm only a few steps away, either from the garage or from the basement, uh, both better places to be than my third floor apartment if the sirens are going off. Uh, I've had to do that twice since living here. Uh, neither time have I had to go any further down into the building, but you know, it's better to be uh, safe than sorry, especially because you don't want to be caught on the upper floors uh, with a terrible storm coming through. Power could go out, elevators could be down. It, you don't want that. So better to be safe than sorry, but uh, very happy to report that we came through just fine up here. Glad to hear you guys did the same. And again, uh, to all those affected by the storms, uh, all the best to you. Hopefully you're all able to get back on your feet very quickly. Yeah, just going to second those sentiments that Randall just said. So before we wrap it up today, uh, on our last edition, we noted that MLB was in the process of starting uh, checks for substances on the baseballs, and they would do so within the next couple of days. That deadline has come and gone, and MLB has, in fact, started checking pitchers uh, two to three times a game to see if there is, if there is anything illegal on the baseball. And it has manifested itself as the pitcher walking off the mound towards his dugout with the umpires waiting for him. They inspect his hat, they'll inspect his glove, make sure there's nothing on the inside of his jersey. And if there's all checks out, he's allowed to go on his way. But Jeremy, it's led to a couple of very public and very visible incidents with a couple of pitchers. We are tonight, three nights into this policy. What do you think so far? Well, I, I the pulp policy to begin with, I always think it's kind of I think it's a little weird because I feel like, you know, the umpires are checking them. But to me, it's like it's kind of difficult, I think, for the umpire to really know what they're looking for. Like, how do they know if whether or not there's been, you know, the, some of the rosin situation or what's what? But, you know, obviously they know what, uh, you know, the spider attack and that type of stuff, you know, they'll they could probably figure that out but some of it i'm like well they're going to be running chem tests on the field to know what it is but uh you know it, it's a little interesting obviously you have the sergio romo incident where he had just given up a home run so he didn't seem like he had just been in the best mood coming off and he's just pulling his pants off just irritated at the umpires honestly i'm a little surprised the umpires were cool with that just let him get away with it and then you get the max scherzer incident and joe girardi you know, wasn't even good enough with the uh, umpire checks. He said, hey, these umpires aren't checking enough. They need to check some more because Max is rubbing his hand through his hair. And to be honest, I thought Joe Girardi, I don't know if he was trying to play, do some gamesmanship or what, I, which is not allowed, although the MLB cleared him. Um, it seemed a little ridiculous to me because you really think Max Scherzer on the very first day they're doing checks or his first game, he's going out there and he's putting something on when they're checking him and then they check him and they clear it. And then he's still doing it. I thought that was kind of absurd. I thought Joe Girardi was clearly in the wrong there. And I'm not surprised that Max and Jim Hickey and the whole nationals, you know, team Dave Martinez afterwards were not too happy with it. And so I, I I'm that one I'm on Scherzer's side, but overall I, I like the policy and I, you know, Chris Bryant had some interesting words on the policy last night. He said, Hey, look, for the longest time we've been hitters and we're saying, Oh, it's good for them to have some sticky stuff because for the control. And he says, well, that's kind of absurd. Like 
we're just killing ourselves. We should be able to go up there to hit and to actually hit. And if they hit us, then whatever, then we get more on base percentage. And I thought that was a pretty good, uh, you know, philosophy Chris has going. And I thought it was a good way to look at it. You know, if you get hit, that's just on base percentage. So, you know, I, I like that Chris was taking that, that tack, uh, not spider tack, but that tack. And, um, and going and going along with that. So I, I think overall it will be a positive. Yeah. You know, Joe Girardi just completely, completely out of line. And I don't know why they even, I don't know why they even honored his request to check Scherzer mid inning. Those of our listeners who are not familiar with what happened, Girardi asked the umpires to check Max Scherzer mid inning in the middle of that bat. And they pull him off the mound and they check his hat and they check his glove and Scherzer predictably Scherzer's not the, the most balanced of individuals in the best of time, he predictably and understandably did not take it well. And there was a bit of a, a verbal altercation between him and Girardi a couple times. Girardi was eventually ejected from the game, ostensibly for trying to use this as gamesmanship, because you, as Jeremy said, you're not allowed to do that. You can't check, you can't tell the umpires to check it to try and get a guy off his game. And Girardi was completely out of line. And I think he knows, knows that. I don't know if he was trying to use it as gamesmanship or if he actually thought that Scherzer on the third check of the night, they were going to find something. I don't think either one reflects on him particularly well. Uh, hopefully they can streamline this process a little bit and make it a little less intrusive because I think the pitchers are going to start revolting very soon. Uh, the, the way that they are very angrily tossing aside their gloves, their hats, their belts, we're, we're going to get a Steve Lyons on the field sooner versus later. Um, so hopefully oh, they did can you see Shohei. I did not. I did not see Shohei, Shohei was very polite and he was even like thanking the umps. So maybe the pitchers need to do a little more Otani and just go with it. I mean, it's not the umps. This isn't the umps policy. So maybe not don't go after the umps. And you know, that that's a fair point. Um, a couple of former major leaguers have made that point. I believe Eric O'Flaherty and, uh, uh, the, the Brandon McCarthy, there we are, uh, have both made that point. This isn't the umpire's fight. They're not the ones putting this policy in. It is the league and the umpires are simply enforcing it. So as entertaining as, entertaining as it is to see the pitchers kind of theatrically removing their belts uh, and dropping their hats and their gloves, you would hope that they don't take it out too much on the umpires. Uh, and again, for me to say that, that's out of character for me, hoping they don't take it out on the umpires. Hopefully all parties can work on streamlining this process. And again, this is what happens when you institute this mid season, you, you get things like this, you get huge adjustments, pitchers, as much as any other pro athletes are creatures of habit. And when you disrupt those habits, especially if they feel like you're doing it unduly, they're not going to be real happy. Uh, so hopefully all the agree, all the involved parties can come up with a way to streamline this, make this a little easier, a little less intrusive, and we can go on with cleaner baseballs. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, it was interesting. I, at first I, I went to the game on Tuesday night, last night. And I, at first I didn't, uh, I wasn't even really paying attention for it. I wasn't looking for it. And then I, I saw one of the pitchers walking off um, the mound and he got stopped by the umpire. And I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot about this. I haven't really been looking for it during a game. So where I was in the bleachers, it wasn't really like a, a thing noticing it right away. 
But, uh, you know, it, it, I haven't really seen any of the Cubs yet seem to have any issues with it. I think I feel like the Cubs are just a team that's kind of just goes with the flow. Whatever the rules are, we're going to follow those rules and just do that. So, um, you know, I, as I said, I think overall it'll be a benefit for baseball. And one of the things I thought was interesting, I, I read an article about how I think it was about, you know, Sarah's, but I'm not sure. Could be wrong. Or, may, or maybe it was Rob Arthur, my bad, uh, about how uh, – not having sticky stuff on the ball uh, might improve the ball's uh, flight a little bit. It might actually help hitters in other ways where the ball travels a little better. You know, it's not, uh, I think it has less drag because uh, you know, obviously the stuff, it slows it down in the air, you know? Uh, So it might, the ball might carry a little bit more. So we'll see how that goes. And offense might pick up in ways we don't expect. That's right. It has only been three games since they've started checking, probably not enough sample size to see if offense starts to go up league-wide. And that'll be something to watch for as we go forward uh, beyond three days after the start of this policy. So that's all we have for this edition of Behind the Yellow Line. Episode number 24 is in the books. We will be back next time with Ronan O'Shea in tow and episode number maybe. 25. Yeah, maybe. Might, you never we know. We might just kick him off. It's possible. It's a lot It's a lot, uh, a a nice lot roomier. smooth podcast. A lot roomier here in the Zoom. Uh, But we will be back next time, episode number 25. Derek Lee, of course, first person who comes to mind with number 25. But again, find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Tweet us your thoughts, ideas for segments, things you'd like to hear us discuss. For Jeremy Spector, I'm Randall Sanders. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.